today we have a special guest speaker. The Bishop Peter Haywood is speaking for us tonight on Daniel chapter 8. Uh, but first of all, we have a little bit of an interview with him. Well, uh, it's great to have you with us here today, Peter, and we're really looking forward to hearing your sermon a little later. It's just so everyone can get to know you a little bit better. And for those of us that haven't seen you for a little while, it'd be really lovely if we spent a, a few moments just catching up with how you're traveling in, in your life. And yeah. uh, I thought it might be great to start with um, just a few thoughts on the fact that, Peter, you grew up in the Shire yourself. Do you want I, to tell us a little bit about where you I, grew up? I did. I grew up uh, born in Gomia Bay. Uh, a street called Carter Crescent, which I think you're familiar with. Yes, it just so <laughs> happens that we both lived on the same street, but years apart. Were you born there? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. I'm in Southern Hospital, but yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, born in yeah. Southern Hospital, yeah, then yeah. Carter Crescent, but yeah. yeah. But I decided I had to move out before you were born. That was, yes, that, that, yeah, that was probably a wise move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I was sort of nurtured in a Christian faith. There used to be a little church up the way from there. Mm -hmm. Yep. On the road, I used to go to Sunday school there. St Barnabas? Yes, St Barnabas. Yep. Yeah. And I remember my first Sunday school teacher was a lady called Miss Malthouse. Oh, okay. Gwen Malthouse or her mother? Mother. Yeah, right. Anyway, yeah, there you see. go. Look, we're diving yeah. into common oh, yeah, stuff anyway, but anyway, but We'll, the, we'll continue on that conversation later. The yeah. significance of that was that that was where I remember the first time hearing about Jesus, even at a five-year-old, mm. and saying he was important in my life. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't have understood that very clearly, mm. but... There was sort of the growing mm. things in my life at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's unreal. And so tell us a little bit about where your faith journey led you after that point. Uh, it's not onwards and upwards. There's lots of complexities, but nurtured in the church, which I'm thankful for. It's a blessing. Um, and uh, went off to university. You know, that yep. was where my faith really adhered to the, the stability of what the Bible taught a lot more. Mm. And I left with uh, the words ringing in my ear, what are you going to do with your life uh, mm. to serve the Lord? That all led to I got married, had a good job, yep. and had uh, kids, yep. bought our house, and we then decided to change it all and go to college. Yep. And so went off to college. Uh, then I started a church out at Western Sydney for five years, started a church plant in a new suburb called Glenmore Park. Yep. Then I went out to start a church in the United States uh, for five years, mm -hmm. which is still going, and came back to Australia, uh, Beverly Hills, Glenmore Park, started some churches there. So, uh, in my life mm. up to that point, ministry-wise, was always sort of starting initiatives yep. in context of things. So I've always yeah. had an interest in church planting and, and trying to make sure mm. the gospel keeps developing and growing with mm. other opportunities. What sort of perspective do you have having, you know, d done a few church plants and in Australia and America? Have you got any overall impressions that you could share with us today? Um, I, I, like a lot of things, I think uh, new initiatives need to keep on happening for the, f for the health long-term of the movement of Christ in the world. Um, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. I think uh, I, I would want everyone to be thinking through their context, their circumstances, uh, seeing what opportunities might be there and um, prayerfully using whatever the resources they have to take hold of them. So always be looking out, um, looking for the, what God seems to be opening your uh, doors, seeing things around you, uh, not keeping your eyes down, but keeping your eyes up and uh, going for opportunities that he might have. And so I, I want to say I think our, our tendency is to withdraw and keep our eyes down. I want to keep our eyes up and look for opportunities. Yeah, when we first started talking about Soul Revival Church, um, Peter 
highlighted that even in the Shire where it might look like we have a really strong presence as Christians, there's quite a few people that don't go to church still in the Southern oh, Shire, isn't there, Peter? It's, it's surprising. People often will say that the Shire is a bit of a Bible Belt area, but that's statistically untrue. Not to put a stamp on anyone's <laughs> picture yeah, of themselves, yeah. it's just not true. Yeah. It's simply not true. Um, there is as many people going to churches Actually, it's more in the Illawarra than in the Shire. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, that's right. What sort of percentages of people go to uh, church in the Shire? Uh, I think it's about, is it three? Yeah, something like that, isn't it? It's under 5%. It's under 5%. And so we keep on saying, when we sort of sense, oh, there's lots of churches here, lots of people going to church, there's lots of people who don't know the Lord Jesus. So we've got to, this is part of our vision of things. If you look around... Uh, in the pre-coronavirus days, and just look at the sheer mass of people, our hearts have got to be compassionate about them and say the Lord would love them to be part of his family. Yeah, that's really lovely. Um, as B- Bishop of Wollongong, what are some of the roles that you play as a bishop? Um, do, you, do, you, uh, do you travel around different churches and see what's happening on the ground a bit and get an yeah. impression of what's happening across a bigger area? So just the area that Stu was talking about, I'm responsible for a patch of the geography of called the uh, city diocese goes from the George River down the coast to the other side of Ulladulla sweeps up through the southern highlands then goes up to the Campbelltown MacArthur area um, very discreet different areas from rural village area to sort of city life um, I'm actually encouraged and I hope you're encouraged too to see God is still building his church and we have very able capable people and our churches who are looking to do what they can under God. Um, there's a lot of things still happening we should be really encouraged by. If our circumstances are changing, yes, but the Christian movement historically has shown great adaptability. We keep on changing and evolving and looking what has. As long as we're faithful to the gospel committed to us by previous generation in our own generation we've got to see ways to keep on moving forward raising up the next group of people who love and serve the lord and looking at our circumstances and adapting to what we have and on the whole i'm encouraged to see that continuing to happen yeah that's really encouraging so when when we're thinking about across the board there's some exciting new church plants going on in western sydney do you want to tell us a bit about that so there's look out in southwest area sydney in the areas i know there's one at um Gregory Hills, uh, Harrington Park, Oran Park, and Leppington. And I think it's always desirable, and we try and do this. This this is our adaptability. Get in early, get people on the ground, embed in the community, and build up the church around that as soon as you can. And Leppington is a classic example of when this working really well. Guy out there is called Luther Simons. Leppington's currently got about four or 5,000 people, ultimately 60,000, 70,000. Church is already at 350. Praise God for that. They haven't got a church building and things are well underway. So, you know, there are people out willing to take, uh, people around us, if we can just find out how to talk to them, who want to come along and be part of our churches. So be encouraged by what we're seeing and be involved and support the church here and its initiatives and God might open up ways, things in a very surprising way. Yeah. And finally, Peter, with your perspective being able to see across uh, all those different areas, what do you think is the impact of COVID on the early stages of this COVID um, pandemic on churches in our region? Yeah, it's very hard to work out uh, ultimately what God is doing. I think it's tending to uh, 
normalised trajectories are already in place, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I think, go back to what I said before, uh, first thing I want to say is that the Christian movement historically has been super adaptable. For the first uh, 300 years of our history of the Christian movement, the largest possible gathering in a house would have been 60. So you think about that, Christianity grew without what we think of normal churches, but there was an adaptability of that. I suspect, this is my own view, that we're living in a, a next stage of things where we're gonna see smaller, not as big, but small entities and more collegial partnerships developing amongst groups of churches where they're not trying to be solo players, they actually have a, a larger footprint with people connected and working together collaboratively. I suspect that's where we're heading towards and those things were already starting to happen. So Revival is the classic example of already those things in place. But I think that model of collaborative, collegial, working together, trying to use our resources well, is where we're heading for the next stage. Yeah, that's really encouraging. And just finally, is there anything we can be praying for you for? Um, Health, yep. God, God to be yep. kind and give yep. me a sustained health of uh, enjoyment with my wife and family. Uh, just wisdom, uh, I, I keep on would say always to this question, just wisdom and discernment, making wise choices and decisions given the multitude of things that come my way mm. and continue capacity to trust and rejoice in the Lord and be thankful for his mercies that come to me in new day. I'd never take yep. them for granted. Yep. I, I just want to be sustained as a Christian loving mm. the Lord all my heart, and then other things will flow from that. Yeah, awesome. We'll pray for you in just a sec, but we just want to say thank you so much for your leadership of us and for your kindness and generosity to us over the years. And Stu, it's and been a, yeah, can I just really say too to you, it's been a privilege to, to work with you. Mm. And I say uh, I, I've been honoured, seriously honoured, to watch you grow and develop this ministry and uh, you've been a great blessing to many mm. as a consequence. Yeah, well, thank you. And thanks for your friendship and your uh, encouragement to us again today. So thank you. Let, let me pray okay. for Peter and then we'll look forward to hearing what Peter has to say to us from Daniel 8 in just a little while. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you indeed are growing your church. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that through all the centuries you've continued uh, to raise up in each generation faithful preachers of the gospel who've been able to deliver the clear message of hope that we have. And we really need this message of hope in this time. And we pray for our leaders, particularly for Peter, that you continue to sustain and encourage him. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we continue as churches to work with him as he continues to guide us through these times of change. We thank you for our Archbishop Glenn as well and for the rest of the bishop team as they continue to work with government to help us to work out really clear and safe ways of moving forward as we emerge out of um, the initial stages of this COVID pandemic. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for health for Peter, for a great time in his, with his family, and that he would continue to be sustained and encouraged in his spirit as well as in his health. And we pray, thank you that he can be with, here, with us here, even in this strange way over the internet, that we're able to have some fellowship together. It's terrific to have him with us. And we uh, thank you, Father, for all the things that you're doing in our generation. We pray that we continue to be uh, faithful um, ministers of the gospel in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Peter. It was delightful to have that moment with Very you. Very glad to be with you. Thank you. Something uh, that's very important that we would like to acknowledge here at Soul Revival Church is that it's National Reconciliation Week this week. 
and we are going to spend some time in prayer uh, reflecting on that and what it means. The prayers that we're going to pray today uh, and all this weekend are um, along the theme of Sorry Day, which we've remembered this week. And I'm going to be praying a prayer uh, today just beside this beautiful painting by Safina, who's an Indigenous artist from Melbourne. And in this artwork, you can see that she's um, drawn a beautiful yellow circle. And outside the yellow circle, you can see that there's lines and squiggly lines going away from the yellow circle. And if you can see on your screen that in the circle there's a picture of like a semicircle in the middle and then also that is surrounded by other semicircles all pointing outwards. And in this um, painting usually um, a, a semicircle like that on the ground represents someone sitting. And often in Indigenous art um, a group of sitting people represents community. And the interesting thing about this painting is that um, usually the semicircles are facing inward because obviously when we're a community and we're sitting around together, we're talking to each other and we're focused on each other. But in this painting, we have two elements that are really interesting. One is that there's a semicircle that's bigger than all the others in the middle of the circle and it's facing outward and then all the other ones are facing outward too. And in this painting, Safina has uh, depicted that for the Christian church, for the community of Christians, we uh, gather around the Lord Jesus and we as a result are facing outwards, not inwards, that we as a community are facing out and thinking of people who aren't part of our community. So the straight lines are representing that we, as we think of people outside of our community, we want to share the hope and love of Jesus to others who don't yet know Jesus. And that's the talking lines that are going out from the centre of the picture. And the squiggly lines that you can see there on the picture, that represents the prayers of God's people as we pray for those who are inside our community but also outside our community. And I thought that would be a really lovely uh, introduction today to our prayer as we're going to pray along the theme of Sorry Day today. So will you join me in praying together to our almighty God who we can take confidence in, has given us so many good things and uh, is over all things. So let's pray. Holy Father, God of love, you are the creator of this land and all good things. We acknowledge the pain and the shame of our history and the suffering of our peoples and we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for the survival of indigenous cultures Our hope is in you because you gave your son Jesus to reconcile the world to you. We pray for your strength and grace to forgive, accept one another in love and to be able to say sorry. As you love and forgive us and accept us in the sacrifice of your son, give us the courage to accept the realities of our history so that we may build a better future for our nation. Teach us to respect all cultures, teach us to care for our land and our waters, help us to share justly the resources of this land help us to bring about spiritual and social change to improve the quality of life for all groups in our communities especially the disadvantaged help young people to find true dignity and self-esteem by your spirit may your power and love be the foundations on which we build our families our communities our nation through jesus christ our lord amen and we also pray father for the Indigenous people of Australia. We acknowledge the history that has damaged the relationship between them and the later arrivals to this land. Thank you for the steps that have been taken on the journey towards reconciliation and please deepen this process amongst us. 
guide national and community leaders to speak the truth in love, to seek justice and mercy and care for those who are disadvantaged. Strengthen Indigenous church leaders to shepherd your flock faithfully and particularly this morning and this afternoon and this evening as these prayers will be um, going out from all our services this weekend. We pray for Isaac Gordon and Eileen Gordon as they lead the Indigenous church out in Brewarrina and we also pray for the slabs in Finkelhead. We also pray for the Fergusons at Moree and we pray, Father, for these Indigenous church leaders that you, they would shepherd your flock faithfully. Please strengthen all Indigenous Christians to be salt and light in their communities to the whole nation. Give Indigenous and non-Indigenous believers grace to demonstrate the new family you are making in Christ out of all the people of every nation, tribe, language and people. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Just like to say good morning to all the Soul Revival people and Brother Stewie and uh, count as a great honour, brother, to... Pray, pray with you today and um, we go back a long way uh, to Aboriginal people out west of Brewarrina and Walgut, Colorindabri and Gadooga. And Lord uh, has blessed us greatly uh, with this relationship. I can remember when it first happened back uh, 18 years ago now and uh, Sister Fee and uh, a visit to Kirinari Hostel and uh, a great relationship has taken place since then. It's been going for 18 years and it's a real blessing and I want to just say I love you people up there and uh, God has blessed me unbelievably. And uh, the people of Brewarrina and that west. Um, I'll talk a bit about reconciliation. I, I was walking down the uh, cemetery through the cemetery the other day and and seen a uh, headstone with a saying uh, reconciliation or treaties not found sitting around the table but uh, found in the hearts of men in our true that is a and uh, we have found that in Jesus Christ we are true brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, no matter what nationality you know we we're just one in Christ Jesus and what a true blessing it is to uh, to be part of God's family and have all my brothers and sisters here in Kirui Soul Revival and, and the Gwamea Church there it's been a wonderful thing so let's just pray and thank God for this time together this relationship we have and and ask him to guide us in the days that lie ahead. Our blessed God and loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father God, to say thank you for this time, Father God, of uh, of sorry, Father God, of reconciliation. And Lord, we thank you, Father God, for what's happening between the, the Aboriginal people uh, in Brewarrina and, and the Far West and... Uh, and the Christian brothers and sisters in Kirui and Gaimia, Father God, and Cronulla. Father God, we have received something beautiful from, uh, from you. Father God, we have true brothers and sisters in Christ, Father. And I want to pray for this relationship, Lord, between, between the Aboriginal people in Brewarrina and, uh, 
in the, the Christian and Soul Revival. And I just ask, Lord, that you strengthen us in every way. May this beautiful relationship, Lord, this family we have grow. And may we do great things, Lord, together as we serve you in this this place, Father God, of Brewarner and, and Sydney, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the support of Soul Revival to to the Aboriginal people, Lord, for the love and support they they give us, Father God, it's a great blessing and a great joy, Lord. And I do pray for for uh, Soul Revival, Lord, Brother Stewie and the church there at Kiriwi and, and the other churches, Father God. Just pray, Lord, that that um, we'll see many people saved, Lord, in, in Sydney, the Cronulla area, Father God, many people come to you, Lord, and find that peace only you can give, Father God. We pray for this country, Lord, that we can have uh, true reconciliation, Lord, or, or forgiveness, Lord, uh, through you, Lord. True reconciliation is only found in you, Father God. We just pray, Lord, for this country of ours, that they may see that we can be one people, Lord, if only we put our trust in you and, and know you as our personal saviour, Father God. You break down cultures, Lord. You break down barriers. And, uh, Lord, one blood, that's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that washes us white as snow, Lord. And I just want to give you thanks now, Father. I'd give you praise and I just ask, Lord, that you strengthen each and every one of us. Keep us safe from this terrible sickness going about, Lord. But just help us, Lord, to reach out to the people in our communities, Father God, we pray. We just give you thanks, we give you praise in the mighty name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing on in the book of Daniel and our reading tonight is from Daniel chapter 8. We're going to look at verse 1 to 14 um, and you'll see it on the screen beside me as well. Let's read. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and the horns were long. One of the horn horns was longer than the other but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between his eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him and none could rescue the ram from his power. The goat became very great but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off and in its place, four prominent horns grew up 
toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the sanctuary will be, will be reconsecrated. Well, I'm glad to be with you this evening. Really wonderful that I'm proud to be part of the Soul Revival team for this uh, uh, meeting. I'm very glad that Stuart Crawshaw has so kindly offered me Daniel 8 as the go-to passage. Passage is about sheep and hairy goats and horns and little horns. It's just marvellous that I have this opportunity. I think you've been going through Daniel and we're going to have the opportunity to look at Daniel 8 tonight, which is a wonderful part of the Bible that we rarely come to, but we'll look at this together. How about I pray, and then we'll open up God's Word for our time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you speak to us so clearly, so compellingly, and understandable of how you're working in the world. God, direct us, Father, into the nature of what you're saying tonight, that the Lord Jesus be seen more clearly, that our lives be configured more dearly, and we love you, Father, all we have. In Jesus' name. Amen. So where we're going to go to this evening is Daniel is going to try and show us a way of looking at the world which is going to be different than we normally would engage with. It will help us reflect about our life and how it fits into the big things that God might be doing in the world. And not just what God's doing, the big movements of things that sometimes seem feel out there, but actually impact our lives. Now, the obvious context of our current circumstances, we think about the coronavirus and how much it's upended normal life. And maybe it will establish a new normal. We don't know, wait and see. But at the same time, what is apparent with a global uh, pandemic and it's upending the global political and economic realities of our world. Uh, nations are trying to chart their own course about how they do things and we've got all sorts of things happening with China and the United States and the Eurozone and there's globalisation and they're moving from globalisation to nationalism and you've got the rise of China. And as soon as I say that, you say, well, well, so what? That's all out there sort of stuff. Uh, you shrug your shoulders, say, ah, very interesting. I'll just get on with my life. I've got other things to focus on. And that's absolutely true. 
But I'm going to be honest, if we're not careful, therein lies a problem for us. We can easily start to think of our lives as but no more than helpless victims of things that are out there. Forces beyond our control. Impersonal forces. And what's God got to do with that? You know, and we've got to remind ourselves God is sovereignly involved in all aspects of the world. And he is sovereignly involved in the sweep of history that is unfolding before our eyes. Historically, the rise and fall of empires, the global interconnection of great things and nations is all part of his tapestry of his sovereign work. And we need to understand that and understand what that means for our lives. And we say that because I go back to the reality. If you want to think about God, you often would rather think about, well, how is God going to help me with my life? I've got a three-year-old who's struggling with health, maybe cancer. I want to know how God's sovereignly going to work in that. I've just lost my job as a 50-year-old and I don't know what my future is. What am I going to do with that? I've just finished university and I'm trying to find a way forward and I can't find a way forward and it's all it's heartbreaking. My parents just had to go to a nursing home and I'm concerned for their future. Those are the things that impact us. But again, I go back to the point. It is vital absolutely vital that we simply never reduce God to no more than being a personal deity or even a church deity. He is much more. He's the true living God, awesome and powerful and wonderful and sovereign over everything. And so every morning, all of us need to get up, rejoicing in the Lord as much as possible, happy in Jesus, glad that we've got the opportunity to love and serve him, and you listen to the radio first thing and you hear the latest about COVID-19, whatever's happening all around the world, and you simply say, God is sovereignly at work in that. And really know it. Embrace the fact that God is to be trusted in the midst of all that. And so that's my introduction. And with that, let's turn to goats and sheep and horns and the rest of it. Now, Daniel 8 is not as complicated initially as it looks. Uh, what God does here is take his people on a sweeping vista of the play out of history over centuries, actually, over a long period of time. He takes it to the very end. He calls it the end. It goes from here where Daniel's located to the end. And we'll understand the end in a moment. And the two big take-homes we have from here is this. One, God wants to assure his people that they are never mere hapless victims of forces out there. We're not just hapless victims. Don't ever think that. Okay, forces out there. Two, God is never ever removed from the big political and economic movements of any time. Now, for those who are familiar with history, this might seem like a bit of a revision of things you learned at school or otherwise. For the rest of us who've never really thought about these things, marvel at the things that God has in his word and be amazed. So first of all, the context. Uh, we're told exactly where this happens as a vision that is given in verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after one had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in a citadel of Susa in the province of Elam, in the vision, I was beside the Uli Canal. 
at one point you sort of say, well, what's that about? Well, the vision is about the moment of the decline of the great Babylonian empire. The mighty invincible empire that seemed to be able to last forever is about to be swept from the stage of history. Coming onto the scene like a huge blindside breakaway that no one ever saw coming to take over everything is the great Persian Empire. Persia is going to be the new unstoppable superpower replacing Babylon. Now where Daniel is living at this time is the heart of Persia. It's in Susa, the province of Elan. A way of thinking about this, it'd be like he had a vision when he was in Shanghai in China while the United States still remains a superpower. So saying, okay, I'm here, and this is going to be the next superpower, but there's a vision of where the United States is. I'm not making a political statement there. What then appears, we're told in verse 3 and 4, a ram with two horns. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram had charged towards the west and the north and the south, no animal could stand against it and no one could rescue from its power. It did at its pleased and became great. Listen to that. It did as it pleased and became great. Now we're told in verse 20, if you look in your Bibles, this is clearly the Persian, the Median, Persian and Medes, the Persian Empire. Now why horns? Horns is the ancient way of speaking about power. I was trying to think what we would say in our modern parlance. It would be like saying, Who's got the most Facebook friends? Who's got the most Twitter followers? You know, that sort of power of influence. Well, horns represented in the ancient world that level of control and power. So the Persian Empire is one that's new and powerful. As far as the vision is concerned, the ram seems to come from nowhere. Uh, as is often the case, the new big force comes from places unexpected. And it's aggressive. It has success upon success. We're told no one could stand against it. No one could rescue from the power. So imagine if you're in this context, you're feeling powerless. How could stop it? They could just do what they like. Well, the dream captures, remind us, 200 years of history. As often is the case, the prophetic world compresses down very narrowly. But behind all this is actually the main player of all history, which is God himself. You need to remember... God creates history, not historians. God is the Lord of history, not our history makers. Okay, that's the ram. Then we have the goat, or what we're told later on is the shaggy goat. Uh, a ram comes onto the scene in verse 5. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat, notice again, suddenly a goat, with a prominent horn between its eyes, came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground, it came towards a two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in a great rage. I saw it attack the ram, furiously striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great. Here's a transfer of power. But at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off and its place four prominent horns grew up towards the four winds of the earth. Now, who is this shaggy goat? Again, verse 21, look at it. This is about Alexander the Great of Greece. 
at least here you've got a great a movie, not a great movie, you've got a movie to hang on to, a terrible movie actually, but at least you've got a, that context. The point of the vision is again the speed by which he conquers. It's it, like his heart, he touches the ground. It all happens astonishingly fast. Suddenly Persia's gone. We had Babylon, it's gone. Persia, gone. And now Alexander the Great, this unstoppable force. At the very heart of his powers, we're told, he suddenly stopped. He was brought down. By who? Well, we're told in verse 8, it's God himself. At the very heart of his powers, a large horn was broken off. Like all regimes, Alexander the Great came under God's judgment. Ah, oh, yes, he was successful. We've got histories. We've got movies about him. But ultimately, under God's standards, we are told simply this. He was cut off. He was judged. The worldly achievements came to nothing. In the end, God cut him off. Next, out of nowhere, a little horn grows. So replacing uh, Alexander the Great, we have four horns with one horn that comes to prominence. And we read this in verse 9. One, out of one of them came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east towards the beautiful land. That's Jerusalem, Israel. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. Now, ready? This one is identified with Antiochus for Epiphanes. They really knew how to name tyrants in those days, didn't they? None of that Stalin or Mao or Hitler. This is Antiochus for Epiphanes. Not one is often known in the history books, but in terms of Israel's history, was terrible. A tyrant to be feared. We're told about this man in verse 23. In the later part of his reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king a master intrigue will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power, who will cause astounding devastation and will succeed wherever he goes. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take, us against, take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Now, the surprise in this outworking is that Antiochus IV Epiphanes is not really a big player. His influence is actually very, very narrow. He would probably never get a movie made about him. But why is he significant? Why is the element of him related to the end? Well, he's representative of all that, that builds up to the terrifying attack directly against God, against the starry host, against the beautiful land, all the places. It represents removal of God himself. Attack on God, attack against everything God represents, sacrifice in temple, and attack on God's truth. Okay, that's why Antiochus Epiphanes 4 Epiphanes represents the oust outworking of the end. Okay, well there's your summary of chapter 8. All very interesting. Uh, I want to ask, well the question should be, well so what? Apart from a history lesson, what's
do we need to learn about God? Um, how does this help strengthen my heart, increase my resolve to love and serve the Lord? How does it change my perception of my place in the world? How does this fit in with other things? Well, let's think about ourselves in God's power. The forces at work in the world often do seem unstoppable, but inevitably God brings them to an end. In verse 25, we're told about God, he will be destroyed, but not by human power. In the end, nothing is unstoppable to God. Nothing's too powerful. Nothing's too clever. Nothing can be, God can't be outmaneuvered. God can't be outstrategized. No person, no individual, no nation, no superpower is ever going to have God sidelined ultimately. That's simply an impossibility. And Daniel 8 gives us the biggest all unstoppable forces. You know what it's like to have an unstoppable force in your life, don't you? Where something seems like, oh, I can't deal with this. It's got to be, uh, how do I ever respond to this? And the answer is God can. That's the whole point. God is able. But then you come up against the next question. Timing. Timing. To grasp the idea that God can stop and change will actually help our view of everything, whether it's big, small, direct or indirect. We need to know that God is there, loves us, serves us, is more power than anything. But the question is, why often the delay? Why the wait? I'll put it in this way. If God could have destroyed Antiochus IV Epiphanes, why did he wait until he caused havoc? Why didn't he just get rid of him earlier? Resolve it earlier on. Um, COVID-19. People are praying. It's causing havoc. Why can't God just do it like that? Why, why the wait? Now, verse 23, he says, God does not act until the transgressions have reached their full force. Or the NIV says, when rebels become completely wicked. And he goes, why, why, why? We cry out, how long, O oh Lord, all the time? It's a cry of the saints throughout all history in times of oppression and trial. But the notice the question presupposes that God is actually in control. In the end, I can't and you can't understand the deep hidden things of our personal sovereign God. Well, I cannot know the purposes for the good of the world, for the good of the gospel that is actually outworking. But God's delays are always for everyone's good. And the call on the saints, whoever we are, is to exercise faith. And the definition of faith there is patient waiting. Patient waiting for the God who we know will act and will bring things to an end. And we know ultimately it's not just a waiting and nothing. We wait because the one who's overcome all things has already achieved that for us. And we are the ones who are overcome by the blood of the Lamb and not, by, not to love life so much that we shrink from death. Lastly, a couple of little points. This helps us open our eyes that we need to continue to pray for our world. We can pray for ourselves, pray for our church. We need to be those who pray for our world. 
And that's where we take into the last verse of this. I love this verse. After all these things, we read this marvelous little verse. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went to the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. I appreciate your circumstances, Daniel. I would not have liked it myself. And the point of all that would be simply, God have mercy on us that we never become so hardened that we are not appalled by what we see in the world. Don't become so hardened, not appalled by the death of another person. Don't become so hardened that the, what's ever happening in other parts of the world just shrug your shoulders, ah, so what? We need to continue to be those who are praying for God to intervene and change. We live faithfully and righteously, but with tears because we see and are appalled. That is not right. So pray. Lastly, the big thing that God is doing, in and through these incredibly overworld, overwhelmingly interconnected political economic powers, God is doing something bigger and far more wonderful than we can ever, ever imagine. This is the historical patchwork that leads to the right time where God's own son comes to the world. Galatians 4 talks about God being, God's son being born at the right time. Here is a history being played out before our eyes that leads to Jesus' birth. And through his son and through his death and resurrection, God has established a kingdom upon this world that will not be defeated, that's more powerful than others, with a sovereign Lord who rules over all. Now, from the perspective of the world, this is easily dismissed. We treat it as irrelevant. Uh, our churches can seem to occupy sort of a small little place in the overall picture of society. But if you have eyes to see, and I want you to have eyes to see this this, morning, this evening, the most powerful, important thing is unfolding before our very eyes, day by day, week by week, for those who have captured and lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you listen to the news, the most important, unfolding, powerful force in the world at the moment, of course, coronavirus. That seems to be unstoppable. No, see what God is doing. Put your hands up, put your hands on, hands on your shoulder, um, heart and say, I'm here with Jesus and what he is doing is unstoppable, unbreakable and he will do with the rest of the world and I'm going to commit to what he is doing now with a sure and certain hope and in his own time he'll deal with all the other things before our eyes. That's Daniel 8. I pray that you'll be strengthened in your love and service of the Lord as you contemplate these things. God bless. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings up the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is okay by Ixon.